Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hey everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I'm in Damascus, Maryland, talking with Philip Valencia of Valencia Glass. Thanks for having me down, Philip. Yeah, thanks for coming. And the best part of this is not only are we recording a podcast, but for the last two hours, um, Philip's been teaching me how to uh, blow glass. Yep. And I have the red arm to prove it. Just a little sunburn. <laughs> I think that just proves that I'm soft. <laughs> it, it's not an unusual reaction. Yeah. It, it's more intense than uh, a lot of people are prepared for on that first encounter. I think it just points to like the people, um, friends will make fun of my soft hands that I, I sit behind a desk yep. all day and don't do any real work as some people, but it's doing like, the important work. Yeah, so my, uh, my skin is uh, weak. <laughs> um, so why don't we, do you prefer Philip or Phil? Phil's fun. Okay. So how, um, how did you get into glass blowing? Mm-hmm. Cause it's not, uh, I mean, I guess it's not extremely hard to get into, but it's not like, uh, something super easy that you just pick up. <laughs> no, I hear what you're saying. Uh, I, Definitely stumbled into it. Um, it was maybe 2010 at Salisbury University, and I was already a political science major, and I hated that. It was awful. It was this big, like, I don't know, too soon to be a midlife crisis moment. But uh, what I ended up doing was getting enrolled in one of the glass blowing classes, and shortly thereafter, I kind of tricked my parents into being like, oh, this is great. You should try doing this for a living. It's like, great. That's what I wanted to talk to you about. (laughs) I got great advice from them, which was uh, to learn how to run a business, make sure I get a business degree. Uh, I ended up graduating with a business degree, but I was very involved with the glass program while I was in college. Um, After that, that was probably very smart of them because I feel like so many people who may have an amazing product that, mm-hmm. like across anything that they put out Absolutely. but have no idea how to run a business mm-hmm. and if they just had that knowledge would be immensely successful just in the 10 years or 11 years i've been working with glass i've seen many people come and go in the industry some who were incredibly talented who just didn't know how to operate and couldn't get the momentum going and in the same time frame, I've seen people who I never would have thought could have lasted in the industry who have done extremely well, not because they're inherently creative or even that hardworking, but just organized to be able to know how the business needed to operate at that time. And it, actually, let's we should rewind a little bit too. like mm-hmm. um, most of my listeners are listening because they're in the craft beer. Yeah, um, I and if anyone who anyone who follows me on Instagram knows I have a slight I mean my, my <laughs> wife might call it an addiction mm-hmm. to glassware mm-hmm. um and I think that's how you even found me possibly or yeah. like because I, I'm always posting different yeah, glassware somewhere from different in the hashtags hand. we lined up yeah um so I have talked to 
uh, Boracelic torch work glass mm-hmm. blowers before, but I haven't learned about this type of glass yep. yet. So this is my first introduction to, and I always forget what the actual name is. So it's often what, called furnace glass or soft glass, but it is soda lime glass. That's that's the part I always forget. Mm-hmm. The soda lime, and now I'm going to remember it. Probably not, but I'm <laughs> good luck. I'm going to put effort into uh-huh. soda lime glass. Soda lime is the most common type of glass in production, but distinctly different from something like. Pyrex, which is a brand of borosilicate. My glass doesn't handle the thermal stress of going from one extreme, hot or cold, to the other, but uh, it does melt at a lower temperature, relatively. Our furnaces are running around 2,000 degrees, and uh, it it makes perfectly food-safe and functional, beautiful glassware. It's more traditional to how they would have been working with glass about 2,000 years ago, but uh, the advent of borosilicate glass has created this supremely functional material that uh, actually you can work with at a lower overhead cost because torches don't consume as much fuel. Um, And the cross-collaboration work that I've seen uh, between torch work and furnace work to be able to work at different scales and details is is really where I, I see a future in the industry, that kind of marriage of furnace and torch work. So is it like half of it's made with furnace mm-hmm. working and yeah a lot of details will be made you know at a smaller scale with the torch okay. and then they can be assembled for the bigger piece in a furnace okay yeah um all right so i took us on a quick tangent let's go back to your story mm-hmm. where so you graduated with a business a, degree yep business management were yeah. you at salisbury had you still only taken one glass blowing class or was there oh, is i, it I think a i ended up of, with four or five semesters of it under my belt by the time I graduated. And while I was a student, I interned at Glen Echo Glassworks, which is like 40 minutes south of here, closer to D.C. It's in like an old 1950s amusement park, which was a really cool vibe. It's got like a 100-year-old carousel playing music. And I taught classes there in this national park and learned from the owner of the studio how to become more proficient beyond what I thought was a capable skill set graduating from college. That was a very humbling experience. Uh, It's like every year I start to become satisfied with my skills. And then I just look at what I was doing a year earlier. It's like, oh, I I thought I was capable before and now I'm embarrassed by it. Uh, But Glenn Echo set me up really well with a skill set for being able to talk and work at the same time. You commented on that a little bit earlier. Well, Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. So while... Uh, Phil was teaching me how to blow glass. He was doing his typical demonstration um, where he offers this to people to take classes from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also, he does it on site at, uh, I got to see him at the Maryland Craft Beer Festival. Yeah, we do various venues, uh, breweries, wineries. We do private events, corporate events, birthday parties. But um, <laughs> it was just amazing because we were able to shoot the video in one take because he just has a perfect seamless demonstration presentation style that he does teaching start to finish the making of, of course we made a beer glass. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like, it was just, it could not have gone more smoothly. Uh, I appreciate that. That's, uh, you know, a little bit of when you have one skill set, you do the same thing all day, every day. Uh, I just happen to play with fire and blow bubbles for a living. <laughs> uh, but aside from that, 
going from working in this national park to traveling and constantly being in front of the audience, uh, that became my skill set. You know, some people are really good at stemware. Some people are really good at sculpture. And for me, uh, I, I really like interacting and sharing and educating other people. So uh, that that's kind of where I've gone with my career after a little over 10 years. I, I would. It's kind of nice because people like doing their own stuff and like mm -hmm. and it plays perfectly into like it, there's the narrative like the younger generations don't want to spend their money on things they want to spend their money on experiences right. and experiences are things so like this is perfect because you get both you get the experience of learning an amazing art form mm -hmm. while getting to make something that you Abs see the fruits of your labor yeah absolutely it's uh definitely become like uh a luxury experience the only downside has been uh it it does cost a little bit of a premium but what i've experienced is and maybe you've experienced the same like in the craft beer industry people are willing to pay a little bit more for something that's going to be more memorable yeah. people aren't just trying to drink 30 bud lights in a night anymore <laughs> they'd much rather have a four or a six pack of like something special uh, yeah absolutely mm -hmm. so it, that probably is a great pivot right you know craft beer and craft glass you know that's peanut butter and jelly right there so have at least from my awareness level it feels like it was during covid where that marriage really took off were you seeing that beforehand because you lived in the glassware world or yeah. was covid really when the the uh handmade glassware started to take off for drinking out beer out of we were seeing it a little bit before covid um the industry has been around doing kind of the same thing uh since like the 1950s but uh let's see going into covid we had a lot of uh classes that were sold out ahead of time netflix had just dropped like season one of blown away and the netflix effect definitely influenced like a surge in the demand for our goods and the demand for our services uh we were just starting to offer all those workshops and on-site visits leading up to covid but then had to put the brakes on it immediately when all the large public gatherings were canceled that gave us some time to focus on e-commerce, which we had no background with whatsoever. It was the elephant in the room when it came to operating our business that we thought we would just address it at a later time. And when COVID hit and there was nothing else to do, we addressed it. That ended up becoming like the staple for allowing us to grow our business. Um, to be able to sell glass online worldwide was life-saving to keep to keep uh some kind of rhythm going <laughs> daily yeah. operation uh now, now that covid's gone away we've been able to reintroduce the classes and the travel and still rely on somewhat regular online sales and it it's kind of like the tripod that supports everything but they kind of helped you uh come out even stronger since it added diversification instead of Definitely. Like just the peaks and valleys of selling at uh, yeah. events and good business has diversified streams of income and uh, the way each different stream also promotes the other streams. If I can introduce somebody with a glass blowing workshop to handmade glass, they're more likely to come back and also become a customer who's going to make a purchase. 
uh, somebody who does a one-time experience probably also wants to try it again and again and again. It can be a little addicting. Playing with fire is fun. <laughs> uh, and, and so those classes for repeat students is uh, re- reliable income for us. Those have been sold out for a long time. Yeah, I think it was the second or the third episode of this season's Blown Away. The guy from Pittsburgh, the director of the Pittsburgh Glass, Glass Center. Like, Glass Center said that that's what got him into glass blowing was how much he loved fire. <laughs> yeah, uh, a friend of mine has a great T-shirt that says "Glass Blowing: Turning Arsonists into Artists." <laughs> um, so, how often do you have someone come coming back to you sad that they purchased a glass and then got drunk and dropped it at a festival? And <laughs> yeah, we we get some sad ones. It's normally from a spouse who's really upset that like their spouse broke theirs or they broke their spouses and they need to get it replaced <laughs> ASAP. Um, now what I tell people is our glass is fragile glass. is fragile, uh, but it's otherwise not going to fade, not going to lose its shape. Uh, it's a little bit stronger than what a lot of people are used to commercially because it is worked in a two part process. Like what we did where we attached to that punny and stretched the lip open in a malleable state makes a more stable alignment of the glass. A lot of commercial glass is cut at the top and that introduces stress and then the glass lands on its lip and it's naturally a weak point. Oh, so it already has the... The stress the, built into the glass yeah. and, and kind of like the Prince Rupert's drop. We, we demonstrated how when that stress is detonated, that crack is yeah, going to go. Everyone do yourself a favor <laughs> and go on YouTube and search Prince Rupert drop because it's amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of cool science involved in glass. <laughs> Um, let's, uh, let's take a real quick sponsor break and then I want to, I want, actually, I want to talk about your mobile setup Yeah, and some, well, no, first let's talk about just the process of making glass, the, the making of the glass. Uh, everyone will be also at the same time when this is released, you'll be able to go and I'll have a link to a video that we shot of the whole process, but we'll talk a little bit more about it too. And then I want to talk about the differences between how it works here and then what you're doing on site. So we'll be right back. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts. Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, so what is the first step 
okay. if you want to make a glass. Yeah, sure. Making the glass would technically be the first step, and that's cooking raw ingredients, silica, lime, and soda ash at about 2350 uh, until it goes through the chemical process of becoming glass. And that's like burning wood. Once you go through that change, you can't go backwards. Once you have glass, it's a physical change, melting and freezing, just like melting and freezing ice. Uh, there's no loss, no chemical change. Uh, that makes it more like blacksmithing than it does like ceramics in that it's not going wet or dry, but solid or liquid. We keep glass liquid 24-7 in our furnace, a little over 2,000 degrees, and that's a 95-pound reservoir of clear glass that we have. From there... So it- if you didn't keep that liquid molten the whole time, how long would it take to, mm-hmm. if it had... if you're, you ran out of gas or yeah. something happened and it, it went back to a solid state. How long and would you be able to just go straight back to molten and how long would it take? My only choice would be to turn the furnace back on and start melting that glass again. Uh, but glass is naturally an insulator. So if it were to get all the way cool to transfer that heat back into the core of a large insulated mass ends up taking more energy than it would otherwise require to keep it liquid. Yeah. Uh, so for daily operation, it just makes sense to keep our furnace running. If I'm going to be out of town for two, three, four days, I turn my furnace off, but I'll empty it ahead of time. Uh, larger, more commercial furnaces than what I have take four days to heat up or cool off. Yeah. They're very sensitive and and they're going to be more efficient and more well insulated than mine. Uh, but there's pros and cons to different models. Um, so from that 2000 degree pool of liquid glass, we collect a gather on the end of a hollow steel blowpipe. And there's, you know, different ways of layering color. But from this large mass of clear on the end of the pipe, it's shaped kind of like a Q-tip. We can roll it in pulverized colored glass. We used Frit, a mix that was uh, red and yellow and black and white. Of course. Maryland colors. Suiting. Yeah. Uh, and that's just like the clear was. Colored glass is just melting. We're not making glass. It's not sand. So uh, it melts onto the surface. You saw that the colors change when it's hot. The glass that's on our pipe is no colder than 1,000 degrees at any point in the process. But if it's malleable, glowing, it's that much closer to 2,000. It's blown you know, from the pipe from the top down. And once we have the bottom flat, we attach a solid pipe, break it free from our blowpipe, which creates a small opening, which then becomes heated, malleable, and stretched open to be the lip of the glass. When it's done, about 1,000 degrees, we cool it down overnight. That process is annealing, and that's the opposite of tempering. We're drawing the, glass, or the stress from the glass slowly and releasing it, as opposed to tempered glass, which is maximizing the stress in the glass so that when it's impacted to a certain detonating force, it shatters. Uh, Prince Rupert's Drop is an extreme example of tempered glass. But if you, like, slipped in the shower and fell into a shower glass door, you want it to break into a lot of little pieces. You don't want big spikes that might accidentally harm you. Yeah. You don't want shards of glass, long shards that are going to pierce your body. Right. So once the glass is cooled down overnight, it's immediately functional and ready to use the next day, which is... This immediate process of glass, it's a lot more satisfying to me than other processes like ceramics I was more used to growing up. Um, 
it, it always seemed like you're waiting for the clay to dry and then you got to use it and then you got to moisten it and then you got to do something else and then you fire it and then you got to glaze it and then you got to fire it again and a month later you have a coffee cup whereas the next day i have 20 or 40 beer glasses so if you weren't if you didn't put the glass into the annealer and you just let it sit room temperature and Mm -hmm. cool down what would happen it would crack and if you think about it the thinner lip is less insulated than the thicker base and so it's contracting faster and that irregularity and how it's contracting is what's building up stress until at some point it's gonna shear apart from itself and it would look a lot like when you drop an ice cube into a glass of water and you you hear that pop it's the same thing they're insulators so they don't like to expand and contract evenly and if they are that's going to build stress until you get that kind of catastrophic moment so the one of the things, and I, I may not have been paying close enough attention to fully understand what you were saying, but at the the craft, Maryland Craft Beer Festival, mm-hmm. you have a setup where, if I understood it correctly, coming off of the furnace, there's the conveyor belt right. that is like your mobile annealer. Mm-hmm. So does that just work more quickly? or Yes and no. So all of my equipment is built by a company down in Georgia, Mobile Glass Blowing Studios, and they have a great conveyor system accessory that mounts onto their furnaces. Uh, they call it the CAT 60. It's the continuous annealing tube. And 60 minutes is what they've tested is like the minimum amount of time that certain items within certain parameters can cool off. Your annealing time is going to be based on thickness certain color application will complicate that but when we're at an event as long as we're working considerably thin and nothing too complicated the items can cool off in about 60 to 90 minutes oh okay then that that makes much more sense to me from my vastly limited knowledge of how everything works i was just wondering like how yeah how does that like because uh, one of the first things you say when you finish is like, this, tw- this will be 12, ready tomorrow. Yeah, in, 12, in 12 hours. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, how the heck did you do, yeah. <laughs> do it at the craft so beer festival? So if I turn this oven off immediately, you know, the ground underneath the glass is not going to cool down as quickly as the air. Whereas in that conveyor system, there's a draft of airflow coming from the furnace underneath, in, and around. It's kind of like a convection quality. And that assists in a controlled, immediate cool down. But it goes from about 1,000 degrees to about 150 degrees, like I said, in just over an hour. And that's what we use at a lot of our DIY workshops so that people make their glass, then they get to party a little bit, and then (laughs) they get their glass, you know, same day. But so you you have to make the piece... In mm-hmm. a certain amount, uh, within certain parameters. Right. If it's for over it's a, properly- a quarter inch thick or if it has certain combinations of colors which are going to lend themselves to being a little more unstable, then, yeah, it, it would need a little bit more attention while it's cooling. And, and that's where the bigger kilns come in handy okay. when I'm at home and I just don't have to worry about that. From what I understand, if I remember correctly, yellow is a hard color to work with from heating and cooling standpoint that's correct uh for some reason there's something about the the metals that they use in yellow where not only is it an extremely stiff and extra insulated color uh it's 
coefficient of expansion, which is a whole other subject, can actually change, and then it can suddenly become incompatible with the other colors or clear glass that you're using. If everything isn't contracting and expanding evenly as the glass cools off, then you get incompatibility or additional stress, and that can be really frustrating. <laughs> so it just likes to be difficult is what you're saying. Yeah, and, and then you know, different colors will also offer different challenges. Red is generally made with either uh, cadmium, which if they're not using the appropriate ventilation is not good for the factory workers making the glass, or it's made with gold, which is inherently expensive. And so good red colors might cost three or four times as much as other pigments. And they're all going to have different kind of behavioral characteristics, how malleable they become in certain temperature ranges. So those are all considerations that I've had to work with to be able to widen my palette to offer as many colors as I do. All right, let's take uh, one more quick sponsor break. And then when we get back, we'll just continue to talk about glass. Cool. I buy my beer at District East in downtown Frederick, Maryland. They have an amazing selection of local and hard-to-find beers, and I love the option of making my own mix-and-match custom six-pack. District East is on Northeast Street in Frederick, in the same shopping center as Showroom Restaurant and Rockwell Brewery. Most weeks, they have over 950 beers in stock. Check out this week's selection at www.districteastbeer.com. Are you planning on having custom glassware made for your business? Glassware availability for 2022 has already reached capacity, and it looks like costs will predictably rise this year. Don't worry, ACS Brand My Beverage has you covered with over 6 million units of the most popular glass styles exclusively in their inventory to meet your branded glassware needs right now. Lock in today's lower prices and take immediate delivery, or ACS will store your product for you until you're ready. Email sales at brandmybeverage.com or visit brandmybeverage.com to reserve your glassware. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. So Netflix just released season three of Blown Away. Do you, like every time they come out with a new season, do you see an uptick in interest in your business? Absolutely. Uh, the Netflix effect is not just a term you've heard online. Our classes went from being sold out and held two or three times a week uh, to right before the pandemic when everything peaked, we had classes seven days a week. They were all sold out with wait lists that were like three or 400% class capacity. There was just nothing we could do to hold enough classes. And on top of that, their budget has gone up a little bit year after year. And every time they re-release a new season, they're recapturing their old audience, capturing a slightly larger audience, and really that, that's done a lot for the whole community. Yeah, the show must do really well for them because I didn't realize how much they would promote it. Like when mm -hmm. you pointed out to me that season three was coming up and I that like the as soon as it came out and I went on a Netflix, like it it's the show that takes over the 
the title uh, screen. The, yeah, yeah, the title screen. So like they they put some effort into promoting it. So it so it's produced in Canada, and I think it airs on like Canadian television before we get it on Netflix. Oh, okay. So it's a it's a show that. Yep. It's not a made, Netflix and original. Well, made in partnership with Netflix. Okay. The the details are a little fuzzy. Uh, but what I can tell is that they're winning a ton of awards in Canada. And every time different seasons have come out, they've been like within the top 10 shows on Netflix, which also helps promote the show yeah. within itself. Um, but because every time it drops, they're recapturing the, the previous audience. For season three, they stacked the lineup. Um, I, you know, in comparison to season one, where it's like they have certain participants who have dr- dramatically less experience. You know, one year, five years versus thirty years of experience. It's like, hmm, I wonder who's going to get killed first. Uh, well, in season three. I think there were like three different artists who were featured from Habitat Galleries, which is like one of the most exclusive galleries in the United States. And various others are just very highly renowned international artists. Uh, There's the Glass Art Society is an American organization, and they hold a conference in a different venue every year. It's normally in the United States, but it has been abroad. It was in Murano a few years back, and I got to go with my wife. That was a really cool conference, but uh, it's almost like most of the contestants from this season, you would go to this international conference and see any one of them demonstrating on any given year because they're just top of the industry kind of people. Uh, so the fact that they're able to pull, pull from such a high-tiered talent pool, actually I know of a lot of other really high-tier glass artists that applied and got turned down so it shows a really good future for the show as well. Well, it's it's um, it has the respect of the community, not just the viewing audience. Yeah, so. and, and I heard firsthand accounts from season one participants that were like, "Yeah, you know, we did get some weird looks from other big names in the industry who were like, you're you're gonna sell out to re- reality TV." <laughs> but even the people who didn't participate, even the people at the top saw noticeable changes in interest and collector base and uh they've since come around and now they they all want to be part of the same team the thing though is like what while it is reality tv it's not filmed like the the junk food of reality (laughs) tv yeah like it's not it's not filmed based around drama or fakeness it's more like it's it's very educational like they they work in like teaching you like what the, what the glassblower is doing or like why they're doing what they're doing it, like and there's not people like swearing at each other and having the monologues where they're talking about how much the other person right the the only drama on that show is like something that they've had to cut together to give the illusion of drama there's glass artists aren't naturally that competitive where we're very community based you can see that a lot of it is built around a team so a lot of those artists and, and even the judges have have worked together in the past to make work uh and, and now just happen to be competing for one prize uh the other side of that is that um there's just you know shows like forged in fire have quantifiable metrics that they're trying to judge and yeah you know 
whether determined who wins this round. Right. You know, how deep of a laceration, how, how many whacks does the piece survive? Whereas when it's an art show competition and they're judging on, you know, unmeasurable qualities, uh, that's that's also going to get some people riled up on their emotions. You know, yeah. I really thought this piece was the best. How how can they eliminate that contestant? Oh, I am <laughs> horrible at guessing what's going to win. Oh. There's so many times where like I've thought the worst piece uh, was what act like what I thought was the worst piece is actually what ended up winning that yeah. that episode. And the opposite's true. Pieces that I loved, people got eliminated for, and it's just. Hmm. Wow. Gets you a little wound up, gets you into the judging, but anything that's going to get you that charged up is good television. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I find it immensely interesting. I mean, that's actually, it may have been blown away. That really got me into handmade glassware. I think it was because, awesome. <laughs> cause, well, because previously to that, I just had a bunch of like, your average ikea or souvenir beer glasses well yeah it was all souvenir stuff or like stuff made by graphic artists where Mm -hmm. they'll design something and have a small batch made and sold that's mainly what i had and i had a lot of that and then i think it was blown away that really got me into glass blowing and then finding different glass blowers and getting their pieces and I hear that kind of response a lot of the time. Um, I didn't see glass blowing for the first time until I was in college. And so one of my favorite things about traveling to different fairs and festivals is when I see kids and they're really into it and I have the opportunity to like show them something they've never seen before. I see just as much interest from the parents and adults who have never seen yeah. this before and you know they're blown away. <laughs> Uh, and, and I think a lot of the glass community really enjoys sharing that quality of uh, doing something that's unusual, something that people are naturally interested in. My parents were accountants and they, you know, nobody goes to their job to watch them work. Yeah. <laughs> what is the longest time you've spent on a piece that you ended up dropping and breaking? Oh, I mean, because that's definitely one that like that. That's probably like the high drama of blown away. It is, is when they're, they're working on a piece and they're like two hours into it and it crashes to the ground. Yeah. So certain applications of colors sometimes require a day or two of prep. And it's multiple people working together for multiple days to do this prep work. And then like on the third or fourth day, you're finally doing this assembly or microphone. T- you're finally doing this assembly or much better you sound. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, you got me. Um, so by the time we finally get to making the piece, we probably already have two days into it and something will go catastrophically wrong. I've had pieces just ended up too big for the reheating furnace and then there's nothing we can do. We've had pieces. You just have to sit there and watch it explode. Yep. We've had, that's probably almost worse than dropping it. Yeah. Because at least then, like, that's a sudden, like, oh, man. But, like, <laughs> the anticipation of watching it, like, you know it's going to be destroyed. And Yeah. And the other thing is, uh, you know, once you get it off the pipe, we put it in, in one of those annealing kilns. We've made pieces that are too big to go into the kiln. And once or twice, we've gotten to that stage, and we realized we'd forgotten to turn the kiln on. Oh, oh and it just kind of cracks while you wait for the kiln to heat up there's nothing you can do um 
So, so it's the careless ones that really, really hurt. But on a hot day when it's you and another guy sweating it out and somebody drops one bead of sweat down their nose and it lands on the glass and cracks in half. Oh, I didn't even think of how that There's was. so many things that can go wrong. Well, it's a, yeah, I didn't even put that together like like the the final step of when you're separating it you put the drop of glass on it like the drop of water yeah and uh so anyone listen i highly recommend you follow the link and watch the the i mean it's from start to finish phil shows us everything uh, every step of making yeah a glass uh and the final step to cleanly break the glass off of the the uh rod is you drop a drop of water on and then hit it with a hammer so yeah it's a controlled break and especially when you're learning sometimes it doesn't feel as controlled things go wrong at that last step all the time but uh all the time i've also been bending over it giving it that little bit of a torch and one drop of sweat will roll off my nose and land on the side of the glass and just ruin it (laughs) oh that's awful so like, do you just have to constant like do you normally wear like a sweatband or do you just have to be very cognizant of how you're positioned over top of Yeah, my solution has for the most part been uh body posture trying to make sure that I don't lean over the glass. I have on many occasions considered trying to buy a bunch of those really fat boy 80s style headbands and <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's a look that's going to be coming at some point in the future. Uh, and, and I sometimes just keep a towel in the shop, you know, like you're in the gym, just wipe your face off every once in a while. <laughs> so the, you, you mentioned posture and that was something from watching your presentation at the Maryland craft beer festival that I actually took note of, like you, you seem to have very specific posture that you sat in. And I assumed it was just because, like, any type of work where your body is part of the work, like, you need to be, like, you need to keep it in shape, kind of. So, like, you know, tattoo artists end up typically crippled because of the... They're always hunched over. Yeah, they're hunched over. So I thought it was more of, like, that type of thing, but then quickly learned it was, like... You need to sit that way or your arm's going to hurt a lot when the glass, like, like I had no concept of how hot the glass was <laughs> until I sat there and you had me shaping it and it felt like my arm was on fire. Your arm is aware that it's a few inches away from something that's a couple thousand degrees and it's a certain sense of timing. Like uh, at the end of the process, when I was counting down with you, I gave you a five count and that helps so much because you're, you're uncomfortable. And when you don't know how long you're going to be uncomfortable, adrenaline fight or flight starts kicking in. You're there's thousands of years of evolution into saying that's hot. I want to get my arm out of there. And so fighting that natural instinct and overcoming that and, you know, dominating the, the fire gives this kind of, primal sense of confidence that was immediately attractive to me you know for this material versus other crafts what i'm um really looking forward to seeing is the difference between the glass you made and the one that my filthy hands were involved in 
Um, like, I mean, it's still like 75% you probably uh, with enough hand holding that it produced something that isn't a piece of junk. But I just want to see how much my influence uh, ruins <laughs> the end product compared to yours. I've done the same kind of process with like eight-year-olds and I've done the same kind of process with like 80-year-olds. And as long as you're somewhere in the middle, we're going to get you through that process. <laughs> Um, I made sure that your beer glass is going to be a little bit smaller than mine. Uh, that was going to give it less mass. That was heating you a little bit less. Okay. Um, but the rest of it, uh, I mean, you're going to end up with a really nice usable glass. I'm going to send you home with both so that if you're drinking something that you drink in small content or something <laughs> that you need a bigger glass for, uh, you're set on Maryland stemware or I'm just, glassware. <laughs> I, I really just can't wait to see what the difference between the two was. Like, if, did I ruin it that much? No way. <laughs> Your, yours came out really good. Uh, so th- the first glass that I've ever made, you know, it's like extremely thick, not round, very small, but it, it's a piece of glass that I occasionally fondle that I keep in my bedroom. <laughs> that's just like, this is how far we've come in 10 years. <laughs> I um and as I had said to you earlier, I was worried that when you said and you're going to make a glass, <laughs> that it was like a I'm, I'm gonna, gonna watch yeah yeah like you're just gonna walk me through it verbally and like all I pictured was like this wavy mess mm-hmm. <laughs> that I would be finished with. So so thankful that you are seasoned in the teaching people how to do this and know the right amount of uh, how much you need to intervene. (laughs) We offer a lot of different class experiences and different expectations for different people. Uh, Some people would really prefer to learn the process and there's repetition is key is the kind of thing. I do a demonstration. There's some hand holding. There's some opportunity for failure uh, because if you don't push it to, well, if the glass gets too cold, it's going to crack. And then next time the glass gets too hot and it collapses and you learn where that range is, you're, I'm, the learning curve for glass can be really humbling. Yeah. Um, but just as often, people would just like to experience the key points. Yeah. When you blew <laughs> and your face got really, really red and your <laughs> cheeks puffed up like a chipmunk, that was great. But then also that little bit of heat where you're going, whoo, I'm aware that that's a couple thousand degrees. You know, those are the things you're going to remember about making this glass every time you drink from it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think I think you have perfected the amount of the hand holding you give because I fully feel like I made that. Like, yeah, as you should. I participated enough in it where I'm not like, okay, I just kind of stood there while, (laughs) while someone else did it for me. And I like touched it once. Yep. (laughs) But you like you, you definitely in, so you offer that exact experience is that's part of the, the, absolutely. That's kind of what we've built the company on. There are other services from other places where they say blow your own and it's kind of like you pick the colors and they hold the pipe and you blow once and then the rest of the process you watch. Yeah, so that's kind of like what that would be, that would perfect, be the other extreme. Yeah, that's that's the perfect example of what I like where I wouldn't walk away from that feeling like I made it. Right. But like I have the marks on my arm of uh, my they, soft. They faded. Yeah, yeah, they've gone away. <laughs> I mean, it's not like it hurts. It's just like and I'm soft. Like I'm I'm 
I am a pampered <laughs> desk sitting person. <laughs> and I blow bubbles and, for a yeah. living. Um, and it was amazing. It was awesome. And like it, I do feel like I made it. It's not like, like you said, where I just pointed at some colors, blue once, and then someone else went away and did all the work. It was perfect. So how do people have that same experience? What, what is, what's the, pro, how, how do people contact you or sign up for this? What's, so you're visiting our home studio. We're in Damascus, Maryland today. I teach classes regularly at Glen Echo Glassworks in Bethesda. I also travel with my mobile units, and we were going to talk about that a little bit. I take them to different vineyards and breweries and all kinds of outdoor venues where uh, people would normally sign up through pre-registration. They'll find details for where we're going to be and when, either on our website or on our Instagram account. And alternative. What, what are those? Yep. Uh, on Instagram, we're at Valencia Glass LLC. And our website is Valencia glass.com. And people can also reach out to us if they're local. We can welcome them to our home studio in small groups and organize little private workshops. Or we, if it's a large enough group, we can bring our mobile equipment to their home or other different venues where we can have the workshop there as you know, an augmentation of some kind of party or get together they may already be having. So for, so that, let's dive more into the, the mobile setup. Yep. So how do you deal with the vat of molten glass? Uh, right. To- so it's a much smaller quantity. Okay. Uh, I have three different mobile furnaces, one that holds a 15-pound reservoir, one that holds a 40-pound reservoir, and then the one that I run at home that holds a 95-pound reservoir. For the workshops, I normally use my midsize one, and it takes a little over three hours for it to, from a cold start, be ready to use a little over 2,000 degrees. And there's a little bit of a bubbly quality that we get from working remote. You saw the ice cube looking chips of clear glass that we start with. We throw those into the furnace and where you can imagine there's gaps in between the glass, there's little pockets of air. They rise up and out the longer that we keep the furnace running. But given that we don't run it 24 seven, there will be some bubbles in the glass. Uh, A lot of time, the people like that quality about it. Um, We work Normally, we schedule like 30-minute time slots, and in that time, they do what you did, the entire process start to finish, and then it'll take another 60 to 90 minutes for the glass to cool off in our conveyor system when we're working remote. Otherwise, if we're here in the home studio, it cools overnight, and uh, we have a simple waiver that we have people sign, but aside from that, as long as they have some form of eye protection, we mentioned that we'll work with anybody like as young as about 13, uh, but they're going to need a parental permission slip signed. Um, I think that's most of the details. You know, uh, we, we can't run our furnace indoors in like somebody's living room, but I do have uh, some people who run them on uh, their deck or, you know, in, in their backyard. What's the most ridiculous place you've ever had requested to come set up that you weren't able to? Uh, well, there's for me, I've like, please tell me that, <laughs> that the living room wasn't uh, requested. 
No, but there was one winter where I used to run my furnace in my parents' garage, and it would pretty much heat the entire house for the course of the winter. <laughs> uh, I remember my mom opening up windows in the house because it just got too hot. Uh, we're working in a detached garage here, which gives me a little more peace of mind running that furnace when I sleep. But uh, we haven't had any uncontrolled fires or anything. Everything purely deliberate at this stage. <laughs> Uh, we've been trying to participate in events in Ocean City for a long time. And as a jurisdiction, their fire marshal has been really strict. Uh, based on propane consumption and BTU rating, our furnaces kind of land in a category of commercial barbecue. <laughs> so I, I, I tell people that anywhere you might consider running a, a large barbecue, we can pretty comfortably That's blow a, glass. a proper location for glass blowing. Right. So as long as we're outdoors, pavement's fine. Grass is fine. We always have a couple buckets of water handy and a couple fire extinguishers. You know, we always like to have redundancy. But, you know, knock on wood, we haven't had any issue to imply that we've had to contact our insurance agent. <laughs> what is more miserable, uh, working in the dead of winter or on a super hot day? I mean... Working in front of a fire in the cold is kind of pleasing, but it can be a little more stressful on the glass, especially outdoors. A cold gust of wind might force the glass right below that threshold where it's otherwise stressed out. Uh, but working in the dead of summer is requiring a little bit more stamina. Uh, for myself, I, I've been at well, a I mean, yeah, we started, and I think it was only in the high 60s, and it was still like as we were finishing, <laughs> like sweating buckets. Right. It's reliably at least 20 degrees hotter in my shop than it is outside at all times. And I always tell people it's never going to be any colder inside than it is outside. So working outdoors is kind of like maximum amount of ventilation. But I've, I'm definitely recalling having worked at events where it started snowing and I have pictures of myself in a hoodie blowing glass in the <laughs> snow. And it's like... This feels really unusual. <laughs> what is your favorite piece to make? Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, you know, in, in a rejection of wanting to have a routine desk job, I really appreciate variety. And so there's a million different colors and styles of glassware that I like to work with. And given unlimited time and resources, I would probably just explore more and more different styles. There's thousands of years of influence to draw from but there's something sentimental to me that i appreciate about making daily use glassware that you know uh somebody might go to uh walmart and buy a bulk pack of white t-shirts but most people don't dress in bulk t-shirt you yeah. know walmart stuff yet everyone's got like the same bulk pack of glassware at home and just like you might spend a little bit more on a t-shirt that you're gonna wear daily and risk spilling stuff on those those are you know, daily risks. Uh, some people really like appreciating uh, a set of designer glassware. And to know that, you know, I, c I can tailor anything that I make. It's like if somebody says they have small hands and they want it a little narrower or a little taller or a little wider, it's all made freehand, made to order. So we, we dial it in for our customers. And to know that people are going to be using it with regularity, that's, that's where the significance comes in for me. So I know some of these are done with molds, like the dimples or things. But what about the, the swirly ones, though? That's done by hand, right? Well, like this? They, they both are, for that matter. Okay. Uh, the, the molds that you're talking about are either called an 
optic mold or a pineapple mold. And those are molds that give you texture, but not like a finished shape. Uh, the obstacle then is to like reheat and shape the entire glass without overheating and distorting or melting that pattern. And, you know, it's kind of a flex, but the variety of patterns <laughs> and different shapes that I have is years of practice in design elements that were originally really difficult for me that now have become, you know, part of my recognizable brand. So you mentioned gold earlier. Is fuming done in soft It glass is done work? in soft glass, okay. yeah. They'll normally have like a, a little vented fuming box, uh, which sprays. Uh, there are some kind of chlorides or titanium oxide. There's a little bit of the chemistry that's a little out of my pay grade. Okay. But uh, that can be done. I don't have the capability to do that here. I've seen it done a little bit, and it's really, really pretty. Yeah. Um, what do you have any events scheduled? We'll say starting in September already that people would be able to come out and see a presentation at. We have the Damascus Community Fair, which is a three-day local fair here. Uh, I do have one private workshop, and there are two other weekends where we have events pending, but nothing confirmed at okay. this time. Yeah. But everyone could just go to uh, – do you do Facebook also? Yeah, we do have Facebook. Um, so check them on – Valencia uh, Glass, yeah. Valencia Glass on Instagram, Facebook, and their website, Valencia-Glass.com. Uh, yeah, Valencia-Glass.com. Yeah, somebody took the original Valencia Glass before I could take that one. How, how much does it help that your last name just sounds like a glass blower? <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times I've handed somebody a card and they go – Philip Valencia, good name. They turned the card over. Valencia Glass. So how did you come up with the name for your company? What makes it <laughs> Valencia Glass? It's like, I, I made it. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything that I haven't asked you that is something you should definitely know about glass blowing? I don't know. I like to talk about like the abbreviated history of it for just a moment. It yeah, started absolutely. a little over 4,000 years ago in Egypt where like big funeral fires would have just made glass by accident. And then a little bit of trial and error, they would have figured out how to make lumps of colored glass, which would get cut and smashed to make little jewelry. You can follow it with the migration of the Hebrew people to Rome, which is where they would have been introduced to bigger and hotter furnaces. That's a technology needed for furnace glass. And it would have been like immediately that they would have figured out how to use those furnaces to store liquid glass like we are, and then how to gather it on a pipe like we did. And even the tools that we were using, the jacks, those evolved from elongated sheep shears. So I imagine they picked up the glass on a stick and then went, hey, go get Jimmy down the street. He's got some sheep shears I want to borrow. We all have a neighbor like that. And... uh it would have been kept secret by the Roman Empire for over a thousand years. There would have been historically some tension between uh, the Romans when they adopted Christianity and then the Hebrew people who were the craftsmen. So the Pope would have moved them to the island of Murano where they were promised sanctuary. But there was also like this team of assassins that would make sure nobody could come and go from the island. And with that, they really secured their grip on the intellectual property and then for over a thousand years, it was something that like really only kings could afford. You know, it was 
top tier luxury product like gold and jewels, uh, it would have been like 1600s where a few different glass families would start to escape and set up new traditions using new technology in other countries. The English are known for their use of crystal, which is defined by a certain amount of lead content with the other raw ingredients. Uh, Swedish glass became very thick and boldly colorful. German style glass has a lot of textured prunts. Um, French style glass looks a lot like Italian What's glass. A prunt? Prunts are like different stamps uh, or like little barbs. Okay. That, yeah, textured qualities that are really interesting. Uh, around the time that they were discovering the new world here, they would have actually had glass blowing illegal in England. It burned too much wood, and the king wanted to build a navy. So glass blowing was one of the first industries that we set up here because there were abundant natural resources. So it was set up in Jamestown, and it took glass blowers like three times being sent over because they kept getting killed by, you know, disease or famine or whatever the case yeah. may be. <laughs> um, but it exists as the oldest industry here in the United States. It was the first union in the United States. Uh, in about the 1950s, they started making furnaces smaller instead of bigger, which was a little less efficient, but a much lower entry barrier. And that's where we start to deviate from factory glass. You know, instead of mass-produced, mold-blown pieces, there was this revival in the freehand artisanal skills. Names like Chihuly were big names that came out of the industry. And going into today, the miniature furnaces that I travel with are really the latest iteration of that miniaturization, the studio movement, uh, in the attempt to make glass blowing more common, more accessible, spread more awareness, grow the community. And that gets you up to 2022 with where glass blowing is on a national and international community. And with like mass appeal now because of right. TV shows. <laughs> right. And, and so you'll find glass studios everywhere. I mean, within 100 miles of any tourist destination you can think of, there's over 160 glass studios in the city limits of Seattle. That's kind of like the capital for glass blowing in the United States. And there may only be like six or eight in Maryland. And we're here in one of them in my home in yeah. Damascus. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I really try to contribute is not this sense of competition and secrecy. I, I share anything that I've learned with anybody who's interested. I always try to encourage students to pursue glass to any level that they would like and, uh, you know, to, to try to grow the industry even here in Maryland locally nationally any any impact i can have you know i like influencing kids if possible <laughs> how do you stay uh up to date and expand your knowledge right i love traveling to the glass art society conference and watching the biggest names and glass blowing on the worldwide level uh working together to make different collaborative pieces that's always awesome even the lectures and panels where people are just talking with PowerPoints, I find incredibly fascinating. There's a number of artists who have great YouTube content, and I watch their videos all the time. And luckily, the, the feeling I have about sharing and not keeping anything like secret or proprietary is really held by the majority of the community. And 
I've seen those resources change dramatically in my life. Uh, just since I was in college, uh, there was a lot less content online and maybe some of that is just how technology's developed and made yeah. it more accessible. But uh, different venues like Corning have great live streams where if you go there on any given weekend, you're probably watching some of the biggest names in the glass industry using some of the most modern facilities available in the world. That's why it's part of the prize for the blown away champion. Yeah. Um, but, but the bank of videos that they've collected and make available uh, over the years has, you know, that that's like bookmarked on my browser. And I, I'll go check that out all the time. You ready to answer some random stupid questions? Yeah, bring them on. Who would win in a battle between a ninja and a pirate? Pirates have gunpowder. Man, uh, Deadliest Warrior answered this question years ago. You're one of the few people to answer that question correctly. A pirate would win. (laughs) Is Batman a ninja? Batman is a ninja. Best fast food french fries. Defend your answer. Ooh, Wendy's. Natural sea salt. What would the title of your biography be? Murphy's Law. (laughs) Name a famous person you would love to meet. Ooh. You know, I've met a lot of the famous people who I'm really interested in, big names in the glass industry. Um, So I'd probably go with some celebrity. uh, Big fan of Robert Downey Jr. movies. He seems like he would be fun to meet. He also seems like he could be an awful person too i feel like it's it's gonna swing heavily in both directions yeah him or johnny depp you'll have a good time either way yeah. <laughs> uh what is the best starburst color pink but i always have to pass those to my wife so i eat the yellow ones <laughs> oh does pineapple belong on a pizza i'm not a fan of it but that's so I'm going to say no. Just yeah, stop, no. That's the, the correct <laughs> no answer defending is that it. pineapple does not belong on a pizza. What goes, goes into the bowl first, cereal or milk? Cereal. Correct. How do you feel about garden gnomes? Smash them. <laughs> what, what is the worst concert you have ever attended? A Florida Georgia Line concert where we were surrounded by like really excited 14 year olds is a hot dog a sandwich no a hot dog's a taco <laughs> is a taco a sandwich i put myself in a hole here i guess you a taco do. is a sandwich <laughs> uh as a kid what did you want to be when you grew up wow that changed so many times like i imagine it would for other people uh i went from lawyer to policeman to wanting to be a soldier and just all over the place could never pick one thing what is the best gift you have ever received Hmm. i'm a really big nerd and i really like all the doctor who franchise and my wife got me this like really big doctor who tardis gift that was full of other big doctor who merchandise the, the <laughs> mug that i'm drinking out of is shaped like a tardis so yeah i'm i'm i nerd out for things like that your, your tardis gift pack yeah it was a big tardis full of little doctor who stuff is uh die hard a christmas movie absolutely 
who was the bully, Daniel LaRusso or Johnny Lawrence? Johnny Lawrence, yeah. No, it was Daniel LaRusso. <laughs> Go, uh, Google it. You'll, okay. You'll, there's, there's documented You got to frame it the other way. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Phil, thank you so much for your time today. I immensely enjoyed learning how to blow glass. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. We were really glad to have you today. And uh, definitely, look, there will be... Um, Actually, I'll just have links to everything in the show notes. There's going to be an article written about this uh, that I'll be writing on a first-hand account of learning how to blow glass. Uh, and then there's also the video we shot of Phil teaching us how to blow glass. So keep an eye out on where he's going to be. I highly recommend uh, going through the experience yourself. So thank you, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah, Cheers. thanks. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.